Good to see everybody this morning. We're back in 1 Samuel. We might actually wrap up 1 Samuel this morning and get ready to move into 2 Samuel. Glad to see you all. If you're studying with us online, we welcome you to this class on 1 Samuel. Let's go to chapter... Excuse me, chapter Cahum. Chapter 26. And we'll read a little bit here in a minute, but first, and I'll read it because I want to talk about it, but first let's do a little review. But just have chapter 26 at the ready. All right, so far Saul has made multiple attempts directly and indirectly to kill David. Direct attempt, what was one of those direct attempts? Throwing a spear, that's that's pretty direct. Not much more direct than throwing a spear at somebody. Indirect, what were some of those indirect attempts? Getting other people, okay, I want you to go find David and kill him. Or sending David out to, to attack the Philistines, hoping the Philistines would kill him. Trying to get this boy dead, and it's not working. David has opportunities to kill Saul, but why will he not kill Saul? He will not lift up his hand against God's anointed. Boy, that was like in unison. I liked it. That's the way I want to hear it. Samuel dies, chapter 25. And I don't know about you, but it just struck me how how briefly his death is recorded. It just said Samuel died and he was mourned in Israel and then just kind of moved on. But he's gone. He's out of the picture now. So get get that scenario in mind. David was anointed by Saul, by Samuel rather. Saul was also anointed by Samuel. And Saul was going back to Samuel all the time for some kind of guidance, some kind of spiritual counsel until Samuel said, well, I'm I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And earlier in the text, we'd read where it said in Samuel and Saul, Saul did not see each other anymore until Saul was dead. So Samuel, until Samuel was dead, man, I got to get these. S names straight in my head here. David marries Abigail, so she's his second wife. Who was his first wife? Saul's daughter, Michael. That's how I would pronounce it, M-I-C-H-A-L, Michal, Michal. I'm not sure how she pronounced it, but she's not here to correct me, so I'm going to call her Michael. And married to Abigail, the, the widow of the fellow named Nabal. Remember what the name Nabal means? Fool, yeah. How'd you like that to be your name? Hey, fool. I'm not insulting you. I'm just calling you by your name. And he also marries, and this is just kind of like thrown in. In the at the same time, he marries Abigail. Oh, he also married Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. Like, wow. I would have thought that would have been a little more significant. But so he's got. He's been married three times, got th- two, three wives. He'll have several more before it's over. Saul 
consults with the witch of Endor, and he does so undercover. She doesn't know it's him until Samuel comes up from the grave to speak with Saul. Oops. That was all I had. That's all I had. Okay. Well, there we go. That was our review. Uh, To get us started, I just want to go back to 26 that I had mentioned earlier and uh, do a little reading here and talk about this. This this sort of typifies the, the, I think, pitiful situation Saul was in spiritually. Uh, We'll just read it. Chapter 26, verse 27, or verse... Chapter 26, verse 17. Then Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord the king. He also said, Why then is my lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord the king listen to the words of of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is men... Cursed are they before the Lord, for they have driven me out today so that I would have no attachment with the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now then, do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you again, because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have committed a serious error. Is all of that true? It's all true. Was Saul earnest? (laughs) It, It would appear to be at the moment. But David will in short time need to flee again to the Philistines just to get away from Saul. So we go back to verse 22. David replied, Behold the spear of the king. Why is he saying that? Behold the spear of the king. They had slipped into the camp of Saul and his men at night and David stood over his sleeping body and took his spear and and a water flask. He could have killed him easily, and no one would have been the wiser, but he did not because, once again, he is the Lord's anointed. And so this is David confronting Saul, saying, Look, I've got your spear. Behold, the spear of the king. Now let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all distress. Then Saul said to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So what does Saul say? Blessed are you. My son, David, doesn't sound like a guy who has tried multiple times to put this boy in the grave. But that's what Saul says. He is uh, wrapped up in himself. His life is a mess of confusion. He's 
been abandoned by Samuel because of the path he's put himself on. And so he consorts with a spirit medium in chapter 28. So that's where we were last week. He was talking to the witch of Endor. So let's pick it up this morning. Now we'll move on to here. Chapter 29, 1 through 5. Would anybody like to read verses 1 through 5? Okay, Rich and then PJ. PJ, if you'll take, we're going we're gonna to skip a little section and drop down to chapter 29, verse 11, and then go into chapter 30 and read through to verse 6. And then chapter 37 to 10. Anybody want that? Shannon? And we'll go that far, and then we'll get some readers for the rest. Let's just do these first three sections. <clears throat> yes. Is ten thousands. Okay. So David got up early and his men to leave in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had carried out an attack on the Negev and on Ziklag, and had overthrown Ziklag, and burned it with fire. And he took captive the women, and all who were in it, from the small to the great, without killing anyone, and drove them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices, and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Also, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David felt strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, 
Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and his 600 men, and the 600 men with him came to Bezer Ravine, where some stayed behind. For 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine, but David and 400 men continued the pursuit. All right, so Ziklag is where David and his men had been staying, living. Achish had given a Ziklag to David and became one of the cities of Judah, sent in the southern part of Judah. So while David is off attempting to go with the Philistines to fight against Saul, what happened to Ziklag? Well, the Amalekites attacked. Well, wait a minute, who are the Amalekites? Those are the <coughs> Previously, God had told Saul, go fight them out. So he attacked uh, the city of Amalek and wiped out the city. <coughs> the king, Agag, captured and Saul, Samuel, rather, would later kill Agag himself. But the Amalekites had not been taken care of. And this goes all the way back to Genesis when God said there, because Amalek fought against Israel when they came, uh, not, I say Genesis, Exodus, when, when they fought against Israel, I'm going to eventually wipe that out. So the Amalekites are still there, they're still causing grief. So they take Ziklag, and I wanted to point out what happens here when David and his men get back to Ziklag. Everybody's so distressed over the fact that their families and their belongings have been taken. The town's gone, basically. What do they want to do? Stop David. They want to kill David. So what does David do? He turns to God. And it says, I like the way it's phrased here. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself. How do you do that? How do you strengthen yourself in God? Prayer? Through prayer and faith. Prayer? I, it doesn't say prayer, but I got every confidence that he did pray. What else might he have done to strengthen himself in God? What's that? Put yourself in the care of God mentally and emotionally. What else might he have done? Because we don't know. It just says he strengthened himself in the Lord. It's therefore left up to us to imagine what he might have done. What works for you? Remembering when his hand has been with me. You remember what God has done in the past. You think back, well... I remember we got in this situation, and this, and I, I don't know how many times Debbie and I have sat down and said, "Man, I wish we had written down every time we were in a, in a hard, difficult situation, and somehow the Lord brought us through that." If we had written that down, we'd go back and probably rehearse that, because I'm pretty sure there's going to be some more difficult times come. 
And if you face the difficult times, looking at the times, oh, well, we did. By the way, what has David done previously? What did he do when he was trying to convince Saul to let him fight Goliath? Talked about the lion and the bear. He, he went back to his history and said, well, my history tells me that God is faithful. Maybe that's the kind of thing he was doing here. What else do you do when you're trying to encourage yourself? Rich? Having faith. So you're saying that faith is not something that's just automatic. It either comes or it doesn't. You're talking about a decision that you make? Yeah. I think that's a serious way to look at faith. We have to decide, are we going to believe in God or not? Bruce? Trust. What's the difference between faith and trust? I don't know if I can describe it, but faith is you believe, right? but the trust is you just turn it over to it. Right. Trust is when you act upon your faith. Yes. And if you don't act on it, you might still have faith, but you're not trusting. And there's a huge difference. What's that? He's looking for a two to six. Yeah, I'm looking for a two to six. Really? Oh, he uses few right here. Do you think I believe that that people hold me if I stand on it? Yeah. Uh, I probably do. I'm hoping it will. But then I'm trusting it. Not until I get on it. Now, if I do this. This is trust. Faith was believing it would, but this is trust. It's not trust until I'm up here. And that, to me, is the best way to illustrate the difference between faith and trust. Bruce? Part of it, too, is just turning it over to God. Right. You You don't just... Submit, you keep dwelling on it and fretting and worrying about it, you turn it over and trust that God's going to do right. what needs to be done. And, and if you, you can only do that in your mind, you, you, you have to mentally decide, all right, I'm, I'm going to trust God. How many things in life are there over which we have control? Just us. <laughs> oh, you can control yourself? That's going to be the maximum. Okay, that, that would be the uh, the supposed, the presumed maximum right there. Uh, have you ever failed to control yourself? Oh, yeah. Not me, not me. I'm a preacher. Like you say, you have the right to remain silent. Yeah, you have the right to remain silent. Please, please. Whatever, something like that, because, yeah, there's just so little we have control over. But then there's God who presides over the universe is too small to say because the universe is just the physical creation God's brought into existence. Beyond this physical universe, there is a world we have no idea about and he reigns over that as well. Remember what Jesus said when he was leaving the apostles there in Matthew 28? All authority... Where? In heaven, which is everything outside of the created universe, and on earth, which is the universe. So, 
That's God's authority, and David is encouraging himself in the Lord. I don't know the origin of all of the Psalms, but if you read the Psalms, you can read a lot of those Psalms and imagine David encouraging himself in the truth about God, because that's what the Psalms reflect. In so many ways, they're encouraging. Anyway, I just wanted us to see... uh, What's going on here in David's mind? And remember, he is the Lord's anointed, and yet things are not always going swimmingly. He might have said to himself, man, I'm the Lord's anointed. Everything ought to be going right for me. What's, what's wrong? What have I done wrong? What has he done wrong at this point? Nothing. And once again, I see in this, there's, there's a typology here if you will. He's, he's very much like Jesus. He comes to his own and his own do not receive him. He's anointed of God, but he's not respected as the anointed of God. He's pursued and hated and hunted. And he has this ragtag bunch of guys who are faithful to him. Except at this point, how long were the apostles faithful to Jesus? Comes to the garden, and they all flee. Now, now I want to back up because I want to want to make another point here about that. Did they flee at first? What did Peter do at first? He drew his sword. He was going to fight. He was going to die right there with his Lord, with his Master, with his Rabbi. He was going to die right there with him in that garden. And then Jesus said, "Wait a minute." This is not the way. And when Peter saw, wait a minute, I can't fight with my sword? He was out of there. He was gone, as were all the other apostles. And Jesus had said, this is going to be the way it is. It's going to be the shepherd's going to be struck and the sheep are going to be scattered. That was the way it was supposed to happen. And so I try to picture myself in similar situations. I have expectations about how life is supposed to go. And when life doesn't go the way I expect life is supposed to go, am I going to stick with the Lord or find another way to believe? Always stick with the Lord. It always pays to stick with the Lord. David encourages himself in the Lord. And it says here, he talks to Abiathar the priest Bring me the ephod. Why does he bring the ephod? What's David want to do? He wants to talk to the Lord. Lord, what am I going to do? What's the Lord tell him to do? Pursue the Amalekites. Get your families back. And that's exactly what David does. We didn't read this, but the long and the short of it is he pursues, gets the the family back. And so David is essentially a hero once again. It's interesting when you read the latter part of chapter 30, It talks about uh, they had left some guys with the baggage while they pursued the enemy, the Amalekites. And when they get back with the spoils, the guys who went to battle do not want to share the spoils with those who stayed with the baggage. And David says, no, that's not the way it's going to be. We have to leave guys with the baggage, and so they deserve spoils from this battle just as much as all the rest of us. And so he makes sure that they... uh, they share with them 
And one of the reasons I mentioned this is because they don't know exactly where Ziklag was. But they have uncovered one place, and at that place they have found writings that describe the law of David. And they believe those writings talking about the law of David is referring to this law where he says everybody's going to take part in the spoil. And I, I don't know what kind of a, a message there might be for us here just to imagine. But you remember Jesus' parable about the workers? You, you go out and you go out in the early part of the day and you're looking for people to come and you get a few and you go out later and you get a few and you go out at the very end of the day and you get a couple more to come. And who, who gets paid? Everybody gets paid. And they get paid the same amount. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I wonder if that's in, this, in, the, in the account, in the tale, just to make the point, you don't need to be grumbling because that's what everybody's uh, agreed to do. Now, first PJ and then Bob. I noticed it said all the wicked and worthless men among those who went with David said, since they did not go with, with us, we will not give them any of the spoils. So it was just part of them that didn't want to divvy it up, right? Right. So there were some who were willing to share. It, it, it seems to be, there's somewhat of a focus here, because David even mentioned this when he was talking to Saul. Who's convincing you, who's talking you, who's influencing you to chase after me? Is it God or is it some of those worthless guys you got following you? This seemed to be the thing. Because you, you go back to uh, the end of Judges. What does it say at the end of Judges? It says it twice. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And there's a lot of that still going on. And it's, it's present here in the account. You can see little snippets of it here and there. People just doing what, what they want to do, what they think is right. And, of course, we're, we're past that in human history. Nobody does that anymore. But, yeah, yeah, good. I got somebody listening over here. Uh, yes? To say that it seems like any time anybody gets in power from the beginning of time until now, there's always somebody who wants to attach themselves to this person to try to get stuff for themselves from this from this person that has power. Oh, sure. And it's, you know, just as much today, if not more, than any other time. It's true. And, and there is, is potential for wisdom in that. Sometimes you attach yourself to somebody who's in power for a, a mutual benefit, but other times it's it's like is happening here. It's a strictly selfish situation. But when, <coughs> when the Israelites first came out of Egypt, I'm sorry. sorry. We, we go back to when the Israelites first came out of Egypt. Okay. God was taking care of them. God was fighting their battles. Right. They, they, they won Jericho. Achan sinned, and he wasn't with them when they went up to Og, and, and they were soundly defeated there. When Israel wins, it's because of God. Once again, here with David, it wasn't David's men or David who won this battle. It was God who won the battle. God was sharing, it was God's spoils. He was sharing it with these men. Why in the world would you not share it with the other? Right. And there's something else going on here too. When Joshua and the Israelites went up against Jericho, 
Whose counsel were they following? God's counsel. God said, here's, I want you to go against Jericho. Here's how I want you to do it. I want you to march around the city for seven days, blow your horns, it's going to fall. When he went up against Ai, whose counsel was he following? His own. That's just a little old podunk town. Just send a few guys up there. We'll take it. And they got whooped. As you watch David, we just read it a little while ago. He encourages himself in the Lord, and then he, he gets Abiathar, the priest. Bring that ephod here. I want to talk to the Lord. You see him doing that over and over and over, counseling with the Lord. What Lord, what do you want me to do? He'd done it previously with regard. Remember the little town of Keilah? Uh, they were being raided by the Philistines, and he says, Lord, what should I do? You go, you go save Keilah. And uh, he told the guys and his troops, oh, man, we don't want to go against the Philistines. So wait a minute, let me talk to the Lord again. The Lord said, nope, you take them, you go. So they, so they went, and, and, and they were successful, of course. And this is what David is doing at this point. Later on in 2 Samuel, we'll see a time when David does not confer with the Lord. It's after he... Gains prominence, he's established as king, he's in his castle and everything's going great. And it's like he forgets to ask God if this is what he should do and things really go south on him. So is there a lesson in there for us? We don't face anything, no matter how small, for which it's not a good idea to, to ask God about. No matter how trivial, no matter how routine, no matter how mundane, just mention it to the Lord. You're, and sometimes you'll catch yourself. You'll do something. You'll make a decision that's a pretty important decision. Or realize, you know, I didn't ask God about this. Oh, man, that's not good. That's a bad habit to get in of doing things, making decisions without asking the Lord. And you're not expecting, like David was able to expect, a direct answer. But God is always listening, and he's always providing. Just like David, or Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount. You go to your inner room, and you ask God in private. What does Jesus say God will do? He'll reward you openly. So there's always a reward for going to God. Talk to the Lord all the time. All right, uh, let's go to chapter 31. Anybody got anything before we move on to chapter 31? By the way, uh, just to recap... David is on his way with the Philistines to do what? Going to fight against Israel. He's, he's moving with them, moving with their military forces. And some of the Philistine commanders see him and say, wait a minute. What's this stinking Hebrew doing? He's going to turn coat on us as soon as we get into the fight. And so they say, get him out of here. Bob? Yes. That's how they found out about Ziklag. It's like, and, and there's no passage in here that says, observe the providence of God. <laughs> but it's, it's throughout this thing. So, so he was going with them, and now he's been sent home. And that's how the Ziklag thing came about. Good, good point. All right, chapter 31. Uh, who will take 1 through 7? Anybody want to read that? All right, Jamie, and then 8 through 13. That's the, that's the last reading we've got for this. All right, PJ again. Very good. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. <coughs> then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, 
and Nakishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But the armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together on the same day. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those who were on the other side of the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that took Saul and his sons, and had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. He came about on the next day when the Philistines came to strip those killed, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his weapons and sent them throughout the land of the Philistines to bring the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his weapons in the temple of Ashtaroth and they nailed his body to the wall of Beth Shon. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men got up and walked all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shon. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted for seven days. Well, that's a sad ending for Saul, for his sons, for David's good buddy Jonathan. Tragic. But what if David had been involved in that battle on the side of the Philistines? How would that have been for him when he realized, wow, I, I was fighting on the side that fought against Saul, the anointed of God, and my close friend Jonathan, and now they are dead and their bodies are nailed to the wall of the Philistine city of Bethshan. So... Providentially, he's prevented from taking part in that. Yes? To him, if you have to go that far to do that, might, might have been one of the problems that God said you don't want to do that. Hey, when he inquired, go back and take care of the other situation. Now, see, the passage says it was God's providence, but I, I have to believe it was. Taking care of David, making sure that he wasn't involved in this. How would that have looked for him politically later on when he became king? Oh, wait a minute. You were on the side of the Philistines in that battle where Saul was killed and his sons. Jamie. So it, it reminds me of some articles I've read recently of prosecution of people who work for the Nazis. So oh. for example, there was a woman, she's 85, 90, 95 years old, and she's gone to trial and was convicted of... Uh, that she was nearby and that she processed paperwork. She was not involved in everything that happened during that time, but because she physically worked for that group as an 18-year-old woman, she is guilty by this. Right, collaboration, corroboration. Yeah, and so even though it's been, you know, 80 years, that they are still looking for people to 
prosecute and place that blame. And had David been involved during that time, it would have come back to him through association that he was involved in killing a Right. And so, thankfully, it didn't work out that way. And who made that decision? The Philistines. So once again, we're seeing God's enemies making decisions that are in favor of God's will, even though that's the last thing they want to do. They are falling in step with the plan of God. This is the way it's always worked. You can't fight God because in your fighting against God, you're going to do something that furthers his plan, furthers his will, that <clears throat> helps to bring about what he was planning to do all along anyway. Bob? If you're an Israelite right now, this looks like disaster. Mm -hmm. This is a major <coughs> And yet, we've alleviated ourselves with Paul, Saul, and are allowing David to start you know, moving in. Right. So this is, this is the will of God. We can see the will of God, but at the time, we can't see the will of God. Right. This, this would have been our day if you were there. We're looking back and saying, oh, all right, now it's, uh, the throne is open for David to move right in, which, which is what's going to happen. But before we get to that, what happens to Saul and his sons? His head's cut off by the Philistines. They carry the bodies to Beth Shan, major city uh, of the Philistines, nail his body, nail their bodies up to the wall. So who goes and gets those bodies down? It says, when the inhabitants, verse 11, I'm sorry, the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, who were they? All right, and, and what tribe is Saul from? The tribe of Benjamin. What else is special about the city of Jabesh-Gilead? Go back to chapter 11. Chapter 11, 1, Nahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we'll serve you. Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I'll make it with you on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you. Thus I'll make a reproach on all Israel. So they sent word to Saul, Man, this guy wants to gouge out all of our right eyes. And Saul said, Don't, don't worry about it. We'll come up and take care of it. It says in verse 6, the spirit of the Lord God came on Saul mightily when he heard these words and he became very angry and he got, he marshaled the forces of Israel and went up and delivered Jabesh Gilead. So these are guys who remember with gratitude what's been done for them by Saul. No matter how low Saul had sunk in his pursuit of David, no matter how much he had disobeyed God and failed to submit to God, they remember we owe him a debt of gratitude. And so when his body is hanging on the wall at Bethshan, 
They don't say, well, you know, there's a bunch of Philistines up there. We could get hurt. We could get in trouble. They say, no. They march. How do they march? All night. They march all night. When they heard what happened, they rose and walked all night. They took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh, and they burned them there. They took their bones Buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So that's gratitude. This is the gratitude of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead for what Saul had done for them. By the way, uh, I don't know of any other place in scripture where uh, bodies were burnt. But this is one. Normally they buried people and how did they bury them? Put them in a cave, pile rocks on top of the body. But in this case, they took the bodies down, perhaps because they had been desecrated by their enemies. I, I don't know. It doesn't say. But they burned them. And I don't know how much you know about cremation, but not everything goes to ash in a cremation. There's a lot of parts that are, are still left. And so they take the bones that were left after the burning. Yeah, this is all. Oh, what did you learn that? Oh, Bible class. Uh, wonderful thing to talk about. Begun, begun to, I'm sorry? It could have been because the bodies having been nailed to the wall had begun to rot or whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, and they just needed to. It's possible. Yeah. Don't tell how long they were there. Nothing pleasant to talk about here, except, except for the heart of gratitude that the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead had, that they were so moved. They moved, they marched all night to, to try to repay some of that debt that they felt they owed Saul and his sons. So this is how 1 Samuel ends, and we'll pick it up in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, Lord willing, next week. Um, I will mention this just so you can be thinking about it. What do we normally know as the capital city of Israel? Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is still in the hands of the Jebusites at this point in history. David is going to make Hebron his capital, and Jerusalem will come later. Just a a little point of history that we can pick up on and might help to know some of these things as we come back to it next week. Anybody got anything as we close out this morning? Yes? Ahaz in chapter 2 Chronicles 16, verse 14. Okay. So what happened? There is another place where cremation of the body took place. Was, was, was it his body? Or did it says then they burned and burned him in, the, in his own tomb and had cut off from his people in the city of David. Okay. You might read about that. Second Chronicles 16, 14. Second Chronicles 16, 14. I call her next week, whatever. Yeah.
got anything class dismissed I, I will uh, mention this in closing we need to be praying because out west it's really dry and this week we're going to have another dry day and we had some fires as you're probably aware that did a lot of damage here recently and we're probably going to have some more of those this week so I would encourage you to, to pray this morning as we worship the Lord talk to him about that thank you <laughs>